City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, and today with the acres and acres of tar and cement in the rain, we're actually here in the studio for once, which is probably the last time for the year until next year, but we're here and it's quite good to be here. And uh, Karina must be on her way because she's uh, the rain's probably held her up somewhere. And Juliet Fox has stepped into the breach to, uh, to fill in. Juliet, well, thank you for doing this for us. And uh, today's our normal energy day, and we're going to be talking some of those issues with... Um, with Helen Vandenberg, community activist, of course, in the western and northern suburbs, and we'll be talking to her in the last half of the program about a number of issues, including uh, some issues to do with the the rail to the airport in, in terms of how it affects that area, and also area um, things to do with waterways in the area as well, and, and water generally, so we'll be talking to Helen about a number of those things. There are some moves on around the place. There was a conference held this week by the big the big people involved in, the big capitalist people involved in infrastructure, uh, and one of the things they, they seem to be aiming toward is the privatisation of water. So that's um, that's interesting. So Helen's going to have a yarn about that as well. Um, but firstly, um, Juliet, I think this could be in the famous last words department because uh, a headline just three or four days ago I'm an idiot, but I'm not resigning. Liberal MP Tim Smith. Uh, <laughs> well, the idiot now has resigned. <laughs> and there you are. I was going to wait for Karina to pour it. Do you want a cup of tea while we... No, no, no. I will pour the tea. We'll better have the pouring of the tea, I suppose. There we are. Oh, very good. Very good. That's it. Um, now, also, here's one. I'm asking you to comment on this, um, Juliet, but also I'd ask you when you give me the answer to keep in mind the laws of defamation in this country. So could you just just keep that in mind when you answer this? Um, a bloke called Michael Yabsley, who was a minister in New South Wales and he was federal treasurer at some stage of the Liberal Party, uh, he's written an article getting stuck into Malcolm Turnbull about, you know, Malcolm's been obviously <laughs> realised he was stabbed in the back and he hasn't taken it too well. And um, anyway, in the article, he's advising Malcolm to be a you know decent sort of bloke. And he says, so Malcolm, you are now wearing one of Emmanuel Macron's sandwich boards saying Scott Morrison lied about the submarines. You are better than that. We can find fault with the Morrison leadership just as we could find fault with the Turnbull leadership but this is the bit I want you to comment on, uh, Juliet. But Morrison is a good person and you know it. Um, would you comment on that? Morrison is a good person and you know it? Uh, don't forget defamation laws, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't think I can provide much commentary on that one, Kevin. What, without um, defamation? <laughs> well, without any factual evidence to back it up, really. Oh. oh. <laughs> There's plenty of back factual evidence not to back it up. Well, that's right. <laughs> we'll just let the facts speak for themselves. I okay. suppose that's what we could go with. And speaking of those people, uh, the latest appointment to the High Court bench was a bloke called Simon Stewart, a quite conservative Victorian barrister who 
went on to the federal court in, I think, 2018 and then was elevated to the high court fairly recently. He's the last one there. And interestingly enough, because his expert area was tax um, was tax law. We almost said tax avoidance, which is stupid. Tax law. Um, and he, and interestingly enough, three or four of his, in fact, four, I think, of his, of his decisions, and he can't sit on them because he obviously can't rule on his own rulings, but th- four of his decisions that were appealed uh, have been overturned by his colleagues on the bench which is interesting given that was his area of expertise, one of which was a case in which a notorious Phoenix um, Phoenix developer production bloke, bloke who keeps developing Phoenix companies and ripping people off madly, uh, was taken on by the tax department and this bloke ruled on a very on a point of law that they, the tax department couldn't get what they wanted out of him, which was the information they needed to be able to tax him. Uh, that's also been overruled as well. But um, it's just interesting that they put these people on. And uh, as, the, um, as the headline in the paper said this week, tax cases set new High Court judge off to a rocky start, which I thought was uh, fairly appropriate. Um, now, the other one this week I thought just absolutely interesting and showing, again, we mentioned about the, the idiot um, who um, wasn't going to resign but then did. Well, Jordan DeGoey, the Collingwood footballer, who's been in a bit of strife yet again, uh, he's, um, he's not a bad footballer. He's, I think he's an overrated footballer, but he's not a bad footballer. But nonetheless, he's been over in America training, and as we know, he got into trouble over there at a nightclub of some sort, uh, and he's facing some charges. And I think uh, his record would show that while he might be a reasonably good footballer, he's not he's not big time in the in the brain department, uh, because he's actually hired, described as the high powered lawyer, who represented Harvey Weinstein in his um, in his serial sex sleaze cases, and I think you know he so therefore he must think he's going all right. But uh, I would have thought if someone should point out to Jordan the the minor fact that Harvey is actually doing life. Um, so um, it didn't actually work out too well. Yeah. Oh, Karina's got in and out of the rain. It's wonderful to see. <laughs> She's still wearing a bike helmet. Good heavens. Juliet, look, thanks for your, thanks for your help this morning. <laughs> you made that comment. And I'll, look, I might even get... I might even ask Karina. Karina, work, settle down. You're probably a bit... Are you? Don't you, you, you tell want to me take, to settle down. You want to have a quick break? <laughs> you want to play something, take a quick break so you settle down in that seat there? I'm all right. I'm happy to have a bit of chit-chat, talk about the morning commute. Oh, yeah, all right. Well, Why morning not? commute. Tell me about the morning commute. <sighs> well, number one... But by the way, in, in doing that, I don't think I mentioned I'm Kevin Healy, but I don't think I need to because uh, who cares? But anyway, go on. Yeah, go on. Mm, this is yeah. Kevin Healy and Karina Aedogileta yeah, yeah. on City Limits on 3CR, just See. in case you were wondering. See um, the first thing I noted was that I'm definitely going to ask Santa for some of those special little rain pants that the postman has. Yeah. Um, those yellow ones. Yeah. I've been eyeing them off. I reckon if I rung out, you can probably hear my shoes squeaking around in the studio. I reckon if I rung out my pants right now, I'd have a full bottle of water. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I didn't ride this morning. I, if I had that, similarly, I thought if I had those pants, I'd ride. But I, well, it was worse than that. The public, I used to get here, as you know, about half a minute to nine on the bike, and even, <laughs> uh, but, but, 
this morning was all disaster because public transport should not work so efficiently. I, <laughs> I just caught a bus. I just caught a tram on Nicholson Street. I just caught a tram up Gertrude Street, and I was here 20 minutes early. Who are you? That's right, exactly. You know what, Kevin, I'm disappointed. I reckon in that time you probably could have learned how to use the panel. I could have. (laughs) (laughs) I left home at 5 to 8 in Brunswick and was here at about 20 to 9. Oh, wow. That's public transport when it actually works, but uh, there you are. That's incredible. I also noted a couple of other things. Well, one, definitely check the weather. I thought because yesterday was so sunny, I don't know why. I don't know why I thought it would be reliable weather in Melbourne. But the other thing I noted was that I guess it, with the reopening, re-entry business, I've kind of uh, – so I use bike riding as my main form of transportation like you. And also like you, I cut it pretty fine. So it's mm. a very good form of exercise. Yes, that's right. Because, you know, being always late, <laughs> you, you kind of have to pedal fast sometimes. Um, I got it down to a fine art coming into the station and I've been coming in a bit later during the day. Um, and so I think, I think my record for getting here from, uh, Thornbury was about 15 minutes. Well, it's bloody good effort. Yeah. So, but I didn't take into account the peak hour traffic Ah. in the morning. I was like, Oh, I'm on a bike, you know, I'll slip past. I didn't even, I don't know if this is coming from this idealistic, naive place of of youth you know i'm going to i'm going to take that title yeah. i'm going to say yes, youth yes. by comparison um, <laughs> to what, to, you mean to me <laughs> relatively i'm relatively young i'm 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 well below the mean in this I'll, in I'll this let studio that one right slide now past you, okay. <laughs> um but, but i thought but i thought it wouldn't be a problem on a bike but obviously it does affect cyclists because of the <laughs> Of the stupid things that drivers do when they're desperate. I think more so than having to yeah. weave around long stacks of cars. And in the wet, you've got to be a bit more careful because you can't exactly. break as quickly. That's right, yeah. Now, I, I, in terms of checking the weather, I walked out the door about 10 to 8, checked the sky, checked the rain and thought, this is my life. It's now or never on public transport, <laughs> so I headed out the door. That was All it. All right, Elvis. Yeah. Um, I, I, look, I gave... I gave um, I gave Juliet a test. I might run it past you, but I did mention to her, and I'm going to mention to you as well, do try to remember the the laws of defamation in this country when you answer this question, won't you? I have ADHD. I can't remember, you know, to put my undies on in the morning. Well, well I won't comment on that at this stage, but <laughs> the um, but, but there's a bloke called Yapsley, a, a Liberal Party... Um, a Liberal Party member, Liberal Party ex-minister in New South Wales. He was federal treasurer. And he's written an article about t- urging um, Malcolm Turnbull to pull his head in and act decently for the party. But he says, uh, we can find fault with the Morrison leadership just as we could find fl- fault with the Turnbull leadership. But Morrison is a good person and you know it. Um, comment on that without defaming. Can you? I just don't really see the relevance of someone's... Coming from a science background, I don't really see the relevance of someone's personal opinion like that. There's always going to be internal party tussles, especially when it's as fraught as it is. But, um, yeah, it doesn't... There's no relevance to me. I don't... Where's the empirical data set, Kevin? That's what I want to know. Ah, there's none. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I took care of that. (laughs) Uh, Now... 
the the I suppose it's worth. Well, I'm going to mention a little later, actually, about the fact that I wasn't going to spend too much this time this morning on Glasgow because I think most of our listeners would be con- conscious of what's happening there, or more particularly what's not happening there. Mm. But um, uh, the news this morning that Australia ran last, last, in terms of climate change. I mean, it, it's just disgraceful, isn't it? But there we are. And the same man, Morrison, who's a good man, apparently, um, he's, <laughs> he's the one giving him, he's put us, made us run last. Uh, we mentioned about a year or so ago, I think, uh, we had a, an interview with a woman from down in East Gippsland about a mine there, mineral sands mine, that's going to mine these rare minerals that are used these days in technology and batteries and all sorts of things. Yeah. And uh, there, there was a... There's been an environment effects um, process taking place. It took a fair while. Uh, and, of course, the, the argument was that it's going to damage local crops. It's going to damage the rivers, a couple of rivers that flow into Lake's Entrance and the, that area. Oh, by the way, I didn't offer you a cup of tea. You might, hang on, I was going to ask you in the break, yes, but I'm right. actually yes, really yes. glad you remembered. Thanks, right. Kevin. Here you are. Let's pour your tea as well. I forgot. I brought a cup in for you. There we are. Now, we're going to have a little break here because I've got to stand up and hand this over the over the shield. Oh, that's absolutely fine. I can talk. I'm guessing it's going to be a jasmine. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, it is today. Ooh. And um, now, that and the, also the around that area, a lot of the food we eat in Melbourne, a lot of the vegetables we eat in mm. Melbourne are grown in that area. And the argument by the local people was it's going to be affected. There's organic farmers there who are going to have their organic certificate certification challenge because of this mine. Is it through the water specifically, do you think, or through the air? Uh, well, it's through the air, I think. This, yeah. you know, this, That's this even stuff more will, This stuff will float, and it's probably going to be both, but it'll get into the water and, and then float and get down. Mm. But anyway, it's, it's, again, another environmental problem. Uh, but the minister is going to... It's suspected that the, the, the report of the Environment Effects Board has gone... or panel has gone to the minister who's Richard Wynn and he's going to make his decision in a week or two but a number of people down there are now threatening a class action against the company for the stress it's put them through in terms of building up to this stage. This is interesting because all these things do cost communities I mean they have to spend money on these things they shouldn't have to Uh. to combat companies with big pockets and who hire the best planning lawyers and all that sort of stuff so it's that's interesting as well, but certainly in a couple of weeks, hopefully when he's made the decision, and let's hope he makes the decision in favour of the of the local area, because the East Gippsland Shire Council has passed a unanimous motion opposing it as well, and yeah. they. They would have, I presume, I haven't kept up with it, but I presume they would have given evidence at the inquiry. But we'll hopefully talk to someone from that, that campaign in a couple of weeks. And But let's hope it goes the way of uh, of the community down there. And um, and that uh, the company itself, of course, gives the usual crap about how they're going to create so many jobs. 200 jobs that we created uh, at the mine and 200 more in associated industries. And it's all so wonderful. But, of course... It's not so wonderful for the environment, unfortunately. Not at all. No. No. Speaking of environment, we now know also that we are getting onto environment, aren't we? I'm going to have a sip of tea. Hang on a tick. Have a sip of tea. It's so sad because all no. of these things are irreversible, you know, the exploitation. We fill my the, glass here too. Yep. The money the money is temporary. And the money that's that's exactly what you say. It's to line people's pockets. It's 
You know, as soon as as soon as humans put money into the world, they stopped looking at each other. Yeah. And um, now what have we got? We've got irreversible destruction of rivers and and air and and food systems and. Yes. And when you think what's happening around the world and that we are last, it's pretty frightening. It's ludicrous. It's dystopian. It's why? Why? I don't. Absolutely. Now, our old mate Andrew Forrest, Twitty, I call him, not Twiggy, Twitty. Um, <laughs> Malcolm, um, not yeah, um, Andrew, he, um, he, of course, has been promoting green hydrogen madly. He's got suddenly gone from being one of the biggest polluters in the country with his iron ore mines and all that to being one of the biggest advocates of, of green. And he, he um, is saying he's going to develop green hydrogen. That came though he's going to put some down in Tasmania. He's going to be all over the place with green. Now, one might, you know, if one was cynical, one might suggest that Andrew's conversion is influenced by the fact that he sees dollar signs, as you mentioned, in fact, um, dollar signs in green hydrogen, uh, believe it or not. Like the Looney Tunes. Yes, but, but in fact, while he's been, while he's been doing that and, 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 and he's actually now preaching to other, other resource companies about how they're not green enough and he is going and they've got to be like him. And if they're going to be like him, this is not a bad record because in 2021, Fortescue, his company, which is the big iron ore company, of course, and the green company is, is, a, is another company called Fortescue, something else that he's hiving off to do the green bit. But Fortescue... It consumed 700 million litres of diesel fuel in 2021. This is, of course, getting stuff to and from his mines mm. in Western Australia. Up 9% in 2020. And he um, received $300 million of our money in fuel tax credit for heavy diesel vehicles. So... And he also cracked the 2 million tonnes of Scope 1 carbon emissions up 8% on the previous year. Scope 1's your direct emissions. Mm. Um, and he, so he's, 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 he's actually consumed 700 million litres of diesel fuel. He's cracked 2 million tonnes of, of Scope 1 carbon. And he's also collected $300 million of our tax money in fuel tax credit. And this is the man who promote now promoting himself as one of the greenest blokes in the country. Mm. It's a, it's such a it's such a like two two million tons. It's such an unthinkably large amount. It's like when you think about space. I can't I can't think of how much that is. It's just completely off off the radar. Yeah. And whoever whoever put the branding, whoever whoever came up with the branding of this type of hydrogen as green. I just got to say, he's probably sitting super pretty right now, um, because it's it's pretty it's pretty genius. Well, it's greenwashing, of course, by all these companies. Of I mean, course. The, you get companies that say they're going to invest in this, invest in that, but the, to do that, they're going to have to keep financing that by their coal, their gas, their oil. Um, you know, it's just it's just it's just ridiculous. Mm. Um, but also, of course, Twitty has also <laughs> promoted himself very much. Uh, about as being a supporter of indigenous causes, he talked about the number of indigenous people he 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 employs and helps. 
which he ought because, of course, he the original fortune for the Flores family came from from land grabs in, in massive land grabs in Western Australia with a massive pastoral interest um, on the land of guess who. Uh, but they let the guess who I presume work for them and for you know a few bit of tobacco or something at various stages. But uh, anyway, given that he claims to be this massive supporter, he's actually opposing following the following that um, that Duke and Gorge destruction, that dreadful destruction by Rio Tinto last year. Uh, the Western Australian government is trying to tighten up the indigenous the indigenous uh, law, the laws that give indigenous people more rights because they've none whatever really and they still have none whatever effectively. Uh, but they're trying to tear it up, they're trying to tighten it up so indigenous people have some say and may in fact be able to occasionally say no. Uh, Twitty has is developing a West Pil- West Pilbara Fines uh, mine in the area of the PKKP people, the same people who had the Dukan Gorge destroyed on them, mm. and his company is opposing the the changes to the law. So here's a man who says he supports Indigenous causes is opposing because he said it could hold up his mine. So uh, he's the same man, of course, who says mining companies have a right to go on anyone's land to mine, except when someone moves on to his pastoral interests, he went to the high court and won the case to stop another mining company coming onto his pastoral land, but he can go on other people's land. Good bloke, Twitty. Um, and the company said um, Ms Gaines, who's actually, um, she's the, the director, Elizabeth Gaines is the chief executive of Fortescue these days, and she said... Portescue did not want to see extra layer of legislation, particularly given the Western Australian government was midway through a process to reform the, the legislation. We do support the Western Australian government retaining responsibility for the protection of Aboriginal cultural heritage, which is where it's been all along, and that's been the problem. The, mm. the, when, it, when Indigenous people complain, their government simply overrides them on behalf of the resource company, so they want nothing to change. And this is the man who tells us that he is so much into supporting one green and two indigenous people. Isn't it wonderful? That's right. When the paternalistic system serves, well, what are you going to do? Oh well, when when it's your money or not your money. Um, well, when it's not your money, you take it off the government. When it's your money, you hang on to it and keep trying to build it up. That's what you do. The only thing you have for people like that. I mean, I mean, there's anger, there's rage, there's there's sadness in the belly, but there's also pity. Like how how far removed from reality that you think that that a mine is more important. Um, I don't. It's 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 like old school cartoons. Like I was saying before, yeah. the dollar signs just completely clouding everything. I pity people like that. Yeah. It's just it's just a damn shame that they have so much power. It is. And speaking of power, there was an event at Glasgow this week. Where was there? Twitty, yeah, where Twitty, <laughs> Twitty walked in, and there was a sit-down event or some dinner or some sort, and he walked straight up and sat on the same table next to the U.S. president, and other resource company executives were around the table as well. Um, as David Spratt said on this program two or three weeks ago, mm. uh, the Glasgow Conference is sponsored by the big resource companies, and of course they're all there lobbying like mad. So what hope has it got anyway, really, when you think about it in that way? But to have that sort of influence where you can walk in and sit next to the American president at a dinner 
because uh, he does want to expand his green and his his, his iron ore interest to America. So it's so he'd be lobbying on that being about that at the same time, of course. Uh, but that's just the influence they got. I'm sure you couldn't. In fact, if you tried to walk in there, you'd be barred by the coppers about, about 200 <laughs> yards down the road. <laughs> and so would I. And no, depends how good I could get the prosthetics. <laughs> um, whereas he can just walk in and, uh, and and go straight to those people. And, of course, um, straight to Morrison. Not that it matters or does matter because Morrison's going to probably give him what he wants in all sorts of things. Uh and uh, the same things happened with another one of our very favourites, um, Jerry Harvey of, of um, Harvey Norman and his, um, his wife partner, Katie Page. And Katie was made, you'll be pleased to hear this, last Friday week she was inducted to the Queensland Business Leaders Hall of Fame. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Um, and this is very good because um, Jerry, you know, gave back a little bit of his of the money he got from from um, JobKeeper. But you'll be pleased to know that Harvey Norman all up got twenty one million and gave back six million. So on behalf of uh, a company that got fifteen million that didn't give back and made record profits at the same time. Uh, Katie was made Business Person of the Year, so isn't that? Oh no, uh, the Hall of Fame Business. Well, she's permanently in there now. She's in the Hall of Fame of Business People. Good old Katie. So, <laughs> and they, of course, also run the the Magic Millions. They own that, the Magic Millions horse um, horse uh, auction every year, and they and mm. the big race day, which is just a promotion for their own company. That's right. So they're they're a fine bunch. And we're going to move on to Helen Vandenberg very shortly. But just before we do, I want to tell you, in terms of wasting public money, um, again, you'll be pleased to know that not only have we given all that money to these people like Jerry Harvey and uh, and Twitty, but also Peter Dutton, the Defence Minister, who is, um, well, perhaps you could call him the Offence Minister because he's desperate to go to war somewhere. But he says he wants, he expects, in fact, our defence spending to reach $50 billion a year in the next year. He wants he wants to keep spending more and more on defence. This is at the same time as they say they can't afford numerous things in the areas like housing and transport and uh, social welfare. And what business is that of the government health. anyway? Well, it's. Uh, I, I think we should spend, I, if I had my way, I'd spend exactly naught on defence, naught. I mean, if every country in the world, if you got the UN to get people together and say, okay, we want you all to totally disband your military so no one can attack anyone else, not a bad idea. What they do, they do the reverse. They spend billions more saying this will stop us attacking. I'm not sure what that means, but anyway, that's how they work it out. Yeah, better to fund, uh, if you have it your way, probably the anti-military, anti-nuclear campaigns... Um, to go abroad. This is what I'm imagining. This is actually a very funny thought. You with the at the top of the um, the decision making hierarchy. Oh, if I was, we'd have a great world, really. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it ain't gonna happen. Mm. <laughs> and that was a bit boastful, wasn't it? Really, because we probably wouldn't have anyway. That's a bit like um, the uh, the song that Harry Seacombe sang, "If I Ruled the World." <laughs> 
Look, I might go to a song soon. Did you okay. have any last little I, well, items? I, I have one to... last one because I, I just wanted to mention because mm-hmm. the the and in fact, some time ago, uh, earlier in the year, a hire company, a a, a labour hire company, lab, bringing labourers in for farms, uh, in fact, um, was was fined um, something like several many many thousands of dollars because it had brought in people who, who weren't even supposed to be here. They didn't even have visas, let alone which is even more exploited. But those with visas even are being exploited by hire companies. I mean, they, they charge them for accommodation, which is shocking. It's in a shed with about 8,000 other workers. They're charging them for travel to and from there to wherever they're working. They charge them for almost breathing. They charge them for even for water. Uh, at the end of the week, it's like they've got anything left over. And there's signs put up by the federal government... Mm saying that if you complain about your wages and conditions, a page about your working conditions, then we you can be deported. So, it, you know, they're actually doing this to allow total exploitation of workers. And we know that last week, the, the even the work, Fair Work Commission, which isn't all that worker-friendly, and particularly these days, things have been stacked by the government for years, mm. ruled that farm worker workers picking fruit and veggies have to receive a $25 minimum wage which they apparently haven't been getting. And Mark King, who grows grapes and he's um, chair of the Dried Fruits Australia, a very exciting body, uh, Mark came out and said this was absolutely shocking. He, he, he used the word shocking and he said it would cause labour costs to climb and that would cause the price of fruit and veggies to climb. And so all they care about is, our, is us at the supermarket or at the big market. And, of course, with supermarket prices being what they are for fruit and veggies, any wonder, because if they got any higher, I don't know why anyone gets their fruit and veggies at supermarkets, but anyway, that aside, shocking. But if you think about it, if he says it's shocking and called labour costs decline, but $25 is the current minimum rate per hour, twenty-five forty-one an hour, in fact, then one can presume, or can one presume, Karina, I'll ask you to comment on this, that if they say it's going to cause prices to climb, it's shocking and their costs will climb, does this mean that they have not been paying workers the minimum wage? No, definitely not. I remember a couple of years ago the NUW um, union was was looking uh, all the way up the manufacturing chain to farm workers and had, I remember they were doing... I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but they were doing kind of outreach to people on visas or even people without visas that were stuck working on farms, oftentimes uh, on the land of the of the employer, oftentimes with the employer saying, we'll manage your visa stuff. Um, and as we know on the farms, it's like um, you've got a minimum wage per hour and then if you start... Um, or I think it's per batch, yes, per batch, and then if you start of, picking it's sort of too work. fast, you get so much per, per basket or per, per whatever, bucket of yeah, oranges yeah, yeah, or whatever. whatever yeah. And if you start picking too fast, it then becomes per hour, like as a way of getting out of, uh, kind of. Mm. I, I'm not sure. It's it's, but I remember they were kind of reaching out to people, and some of the stories were really horrific. Um, it's unsurprising that the federal government is kind of getting on board with this, but it just makes it so much more dangerous for individuals that are put into that kind of situation. And oftentimes, like recruited 
in their countries of origin by people who say you're going to earn a thousand bucks a week and or more you know like five thousand a week and and then they come to the reality of this and they're kind of stuck here yeah. and most of it's bloody hard work and the, the government the government's response is uh, that that it's a few bad apples they've done no pun intended there in terms mm. of picking things but a few bad apples um as opposed to the fact that just most of the bloody people who do it but anyway uh, imagine how scary the, it would be yeah. not even speaking the language and then coming in and being like all right well mm. you're going to be you're going to be um treated punitively because of something you didn't even know and the other thing I'll go to Helen in a second but the other thing worth just struck my struck me as I said it I've been thinking about uh, they're talking, industry's talking generally about the lack of workers at the moment, about shortage of workers. They need more immigration. They need to bring more people out. Uh, we've got all those people who have been locked up for eight years in refugee camps somewhere in Nauru and Christmas Island and in Manus and now in hotels around Australia. Those people could, be, could directly go straight into the workforce here in Australia and not be locked up. There's there's a there's there's a workforce already ready to work that they could grab instantly. Just quickly, what sector of the workforce are we are we talking about, or are we talking oh, across the o- board? Overall, they're saying there's shortage in all sorts of areas. It, you know, in construction, in all sorts of areas, there's shortage. But I'm sure mm. many of those refugees who've been locked up for ages could make a major contribution to. The workforce here in Australia. I mean, if they're allowed, I, I often like in the rare times I ever have to catch a taxi. It's often kind of sad to see that people um, who are who are doctors or engineers or you know have have a lot to offer and yeah. and and we're doing a lot in their countries of origin can't really do that much in Australia either because of discrimination with hiring or because of the way that um, their qualifications get turned over. Yep. So they become Uber, Uber drivers and, you know, yep. may, maybe they could make a meaningful contribution that way if I'm we were, sure they could. if we and allowed. And let's go on to someone whose qualifications are ah, certainly very good, Helen Vandenberg. Take a break. Be right back and talk to Helen about about airports and uh, and water. Yeah. Speaking of water, I'm going to wring out my socks while I call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I like to play this song every time it goes from warm to cool. This is Pressure Drop by Toots and the Maytals.
Was Karina? Tell us that you just tell me, and I've just like, what was that music? Well, excuse me, that was Pressure Drop by Toots and the Maytals. Oh, was it really? Yeah, that's very good. Um, well, the, the pressure. I'm let's glad hope, someone cares. Let's hope the pressure on Helen Vandenberg's phone doesn't drop because she's having a few problems with it apparently. But Helen's <laughs> on the line, and um, Helen Vandenberg, of course, well-known community activist, or listeners of this program will know. Helen's been interviewed on this program many times over the years. And uh, today, Helen, I know one thing you want to talk about is the the rail line to the, the proposed rail line to the airport. What what's the, what are your comments on that? Well, we privileged people of the northwest will be watching um, tourists travelling better public transport than we have um, while it sails overhead. Um, but apart from that. Um, it's the impact on uh, critically endangered temperate grasslands along Steel Creek and Steel Creek North and over at Solomon Heights on the Maribyrnong um, River Valley where they've got the golden sun moth and the growling uh, grass frog and the, uh, the striped legless lizard. It's a very diminutive lizard. It's... Um, legless and often confused with snakes, but it's tiny. And it's it's really a precious bit of um, fauna for our grassland area. And because the Steel Creek North and that area near the M80 has been really, really neglected and there's been a lot of um, illegal waste dumped there, both there and in the um, construction area where they're going to be using the... Um, area where the power lines go through and the fuel line goes through and Gemina goes through, Osnick goes through, um, that area. It, because there haven't been people around um, and it's cracked soil and got a lot of rocks, there's a really large, lovely population of both what is protected under the EPBC, the Environment Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act at a federal level, plus our our Victorian um, Flora Fauna Guarantee Act protects the tussock skink, and there's a large population of that. Now, there's two things. The EPBC referral process, we have to put a submission in today to say, could you please, um, yeah, your no-go zones are good, but you, you need more and you need to improve your trapping method. 
um, and where they want to put um, the shared use path that we've asked for, we'll be saying to them, well, can you please put that close to the creek because um, that gives us more eyes on the creek, which increases the opportunity for residents to um, report pollution. Now, we have one river red gum tree in that area that is over 200 years old. And we have said from the outset, that tree and our grasslands and the fauna in them are absolutely vital to us to have protected. Um, if we lose that tree, we're going to be heartbroken and it's very hard to read from the map um, exactly where the 15 to 20 trees are that they're going to cut out. So um, we're, we're just saying you've got to enforce the law uh, you've got to protect that lizard. And if you're going to construct a path, not only should you put it closer to the creek, So, uh, but if you have to dissect the habitat of the striped legless lizard in Steel Creek and Steel Creek North, then you should use a boardwalk or uh, where lizards are proven to be able to go under them rather than the concrete. And you could even put in gravel sections because lizards can get across that. We're also concerned that the shadow from the, they call it the vot duck, but it's the overhead line, <coughs> pardon me for a minute, that that's going to impact this little lizard. Because, I mean, he's not very, she's not, he or she is not very long, right? And so if it wants to get in the sun, if it has to get out of this huge shadowy area that they'll be there in July, in June and July, then, you know, it's going to use a lot of energy to do that. So, um, you know, they, they will have to relocate any legless lizards in that shadow impacted area also, not just the ones that are in the way of the path and the construction vehicles. And they did say that, well, there's bound to be some deaths. Well, we don't think it's good enough to just say that and say we'll put down tiles and we'll, what we'll collect underneath those, that's it. We, we think there should be an ecologist present at all times so that if you come across a legless lizard that hasn't been moved from out of the danger zone, you can capture it then. And we also think that while the tile method they've suggested is good, we think they need pitfall traps as well and that all, all the animals that they capture in that need to be relocated. And um, it's also been shown that you that when you're relocating these things, if you just take it from one spot to the other, they stress out. Mm. So it's better to in, put them into um, a solid compound for a while where the walls, are, well, they, they go into the ground for a start to stop tunnelling and... Um, mice tunnelling and others getting in and then mm. that calms them down too. You're saying it's not very long, Helen, but it mightn't be very long for this world the way you're talking. But um, what, well, what, sort, what sort of input are you getting? Nowhere, it's nowhere else in our corridor, but it is also over at Solomon Heights. And again, that's been a neglected area where, oh Lord, we, we took Peter Singer there in 19... 96, when he was standing for the federal election to say this is a critical part of the Maribyrnong Valley, it needs great protection, but we haven't had any action. So I think it might be time for us to go and knock on Bill Shorten's door and say to him, well, you know, the election's coming up. 
what are you people going to do about protecting And he's area? the local federal member, of course, out there in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, Helen, in terms of the, the problems you're talking about, what sort of in, input are you able to have into the process to, to influence Oh, it? well, Airport Rail, to give them some credit, um, do contact us. I mean, we, they contacted us uh, two years ago and we said, listen, there's trees up there and grasses up there. And they noted it all down, but apparently those notes didn't get passed on to the current lot. So when mm. I contacted them and said, hey, guys, what are you doing? You've got websites, you're doing this, and you haven't contacted us, and we're going to be impacted. And we have constantly said to them, when can we meet you? When can we just see the design? And we're having another meeting with them next week, and then we're going for another site tour. So I think there's a commitment from the people engaged to liaise with us. They, they know we're here and they're talking to us. I don't know how well the feds will listen. Um, they've just got a referral process. They only give you 10 days. I mean, you should have seen all the documents we've had to wade through in the last 10 days to be able to write our submission today. And I don't feel like I've had enough time, you know, to, um, to, to really get through every one of them, but I've looked at the key ones. So we can put in a written submission today to the federal process. But um, we are hopeful that Airport Rail will continue the dialogue with both the Friends of the Maribyrnong Valley and ourselves. But sometimes you get the feeling that, you know, so long as there's a bike track going in, they think everything's hunky-dory, and it's not. Mm -hmm. um, there's critical grassland that is... It's really important that we keep that grassland, particularly on Steel Creek North, and uh, wherever it is, because you've got more genetic diversity. Our experience was that we saved some wallaby grasses over here in Spring Valley Reserve, courtesy of Yoss. And when they brought the experts in, there were Sorry, three just, Yosh being your, your husband partner, I just to let yeah, people know. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. well, they found out there were three types of wallaby grass there, and they were grasses, uh, genetically, they were different from the other wallaby grasses in Mooney Valley. And so they've been able to take seeds from there and use them in another place to improve genetic diversity over there. And the Irimu grasslands people, they found um, a wallaby grass there. And when that was genetically analysed, it turned out to be the most ancient form of wallaby grass that there was. It was just this tiny patch of it. And it goes back to be the grass species from which all the others evolved. So mm. even though these remnants are small and people can say, oh, it's a pretty derelict area around there, nobody's been looking after it, that doesn't mean to say nature hasn't managed to survive in there. So, And when you're down to 0.4% left, left in our suburban areas, then, you know, it's, it's pretty important that you save everything. Yeah, I was going to say those western grasslands are being devastated overall by mm. urban urban sprawl, so we mm. need to save as much as we can. Well, absolutely. So that's our message. And the other thing is, Graham, oh, sorry, Kevin, okay. <laughs> is that in the 1970s when um, Yoss went out with the Committee for the Conservation of the Maribyrnong Valley collecting seeds, um, the committee used to use the rail corridors because the rail corridor people used to burn their grasses intermittently, they were in good condition. And that's where we got a lot of the seeds for our original 
we had to find out how to germinate grasses back in the 70s. So we've come a long way since in the 50-plus years since then. So, you know, everything is critically important and it has to be saved. Yep. And we know that uh, with uh, the more the more hot topic, not to say that they're less, but people really do like to focus on uh, our forests and and uh, like pygmy possums and 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 key species from those places. But considering Victoria used to be covered in grassland, and as you say now, what point four percent or less, um, it's the most it's the most endangered ecosystem that we have, and, uh, and probably. Not only just in Australia, I'm wondering if it stands up there on the global scale too. I mean, and the other thing that worries me is that people are clamouring for more trees because of climate change, but you can't stick them in a grassland because you create shade. Mm. Grassland has got to be a grassland, right? Now, you have trees in your riparian zone, but they were pretty spaced out. This is a grassy, sunny area. It's got cracked soil, rocks. Fantastic for them, and it's and it's just got to be saved. And just because the individuals within that ecosystem aren't long lived, doesn't mean that it can just be remade on the side of a disturbed area anyway, or or turned soil or on a development. Like you can't you right. can't just recreate that whole ecosystem, especially if you've lost these key species too. Yeah, and the other thing is that. Where you've got a little bit left, you can work to revegetate it. Now, they are saying that because there will be damage in that construction area, mm. uh, they will revegetate areas. But it's got to be the quality. And what I've seen of revegetation work post-major construction isn't impressive. So I'm saying, well, what's the budget, guys? Is it one of these paltry little budgets where you just stick a path in and... Um, you know, you think you've done your job or are you really going to help us with the revegetation? Because there's real proof you can rehabilitate Mm. these precious areas and it it could be such a wonderful win-win here for both the environment, the creek and the the flippant airport that's a noisy, polluting place anyhow. That's right. And if it's an ongoing kind of thing as well, the, the thing that everyone's obsessed with, which is jobs, I mean, yeah. having people out there uh, maintaining these revegetated areas. Well, the perfect people to do that are the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Narap Rangers. That's right. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's creating jobs in a, in in a for a community that is the most disadvantaged in Australia. I mean, just a national shame. But anyhow, so I mean, there's a win-win. You can have a win for. Tourism and the airport and aviation industry can have a win for people who like linking up the cycling tracks so that you can get from the airport to along the creek, down to the river, down to the, join the Maribyrnong, ride the Maribyrnong, get to the city, right? And you can link it up. So that's a win for um, people who want to be fit. It's a win for the environment. It's a win for threatened species. Mm. And it's a win for grasslands. So, and, and to have the legless lizard there still present after everything that has happened to it, that it has hung on, you know, it could be, you know, this could be, look what we saved through airport rail. Mm. You know? Yeah. 
You've got to hope that it's possible. Helen, um, I know you also want to talk about water. We're getting close to end of time here, unfortunately. But um, water in in lockdown have have the have the state of those of the waterways in your part of the world improved, or is it still pretty (laughs) right? Was that a yes or no, Helen?
because when you look at Gippsland and uh, the central region, that takes you down. The only bits missing out are the northwest and the northeast and a little bit further past Warrnambool, right? So this is a huge area. So we've got to be smarter and cleverer. And to offer us treated sewerage water that's still got PFAS, depressants, uh, pharmaceuticals of a great variety, that's not fair. That's outrageous. Say, oh, well, we, we're, we're 362... What, I've forgotten how many gigalitres it's in, but it's uh, they're this many hundreds of gigalitres short, so we'll just give you treated wastewater. Oh, come on. Well, it could actually get that's worse, Helen. I just want to... I just they wanted... don't know how to get all of the, the contaminants out of the water. And the EPA, Victoria, has been crystal clear. Emerging contaminants are a serious issue. We need to bring in stronger regulation. We need to talk to the chemical companies about changing some of the things they do. And you've got your pesticides and herbicides and everything else in there. Well, you clean that up and we'll take your water. You give us filthy water instead of letting us use the rainwater, we will be furious. Yeah. We've got to wind up here, Helen, but to make it worse, the Business Council of Australia this week has put up a proposal for the development of national markets for transport, water, electricity and communications based on private investment and user charging. So they actually want to privatise our water. Well, well, even Kenneth realised you can't privatise water. Now, they corporatised it, and that's made uh, that's made a lot of problems for the... For, um, River Health, because, you know, you've got an essential service commissioner that keeps telling Melbourne Water, for instance, well, you've got to reduce your operational expenditure. Well, sorry, when it comes to water infrastructure, you cannot keep throwing out the peak restructuring your organisation and throwing out your skilled people just to bring down your operating costs, yeah. because that means you're not maintaining the things that you need to. Helen, I'm afraid we're going to have to wind up here because we're out of time. That's all right, um, I'm pretty well. But look, we might, well, I said we might, this would probably be the last chance this year. We might even talk to you on the second Wednesday next month again and catch up with more of this because uh, it's going to keep on going. Oh, it is. Anyhow, we're in there battling on and we have a wonderful water, concerned waterways group that stretches from the Gippsland Lakes down to the Moorable, uh, actually down to the Glenelg now, we've extended it. And we're all in constant dialogue with one another and we have found so okay. many similar issues <laughs> and we ain't going away. That's it, Helen. We're going to have to go away right now because the next, next program's coming in. But thanks for your time and we'll talk again shortly. Good on you. Thank okay. you very much for the chance. Helen Vandenberg. Thanks, Helen. Next week on Bye. City Limits, it's housing. So we'll be back next week. And Karina, thanks so much for, one, keeping us on air, but your contribution this morning as well. Ah, uh, yes. I'll, um, um, you can always count on me to be reliably unreliable or vice versa. Uh, don't forget to stay tuned for Anarchist World this week and we'll catch you on City Limits next Wednesday morning at 9am. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.